Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. Hello everybody, I'm John Hindorf and this is a special programme from the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. Once again in 2019, RS2 has been the home of IMSA Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure to travel across to the States and to cover those events for you alongside our two other uh, full season uh, drivers, I suppose you could call them, full season entrants, uh, Shea Adam and Jeremy Shaw. And it's Shea Adam that joins me. Uh, on the line now from Fort Lauderdale in Florida as we discuss the main IMSA championship, the big one, the big show. It's the big dog and lots of other big things. The IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. The WeatherTech Sports Car Championship on IMSA Radio. Sure, welcome to the show. Uh, I mean, how long have you got? Because I've got a feeling we might be here um, for quite a long time. And once again, the chat is all about the track action, which I think is fantastic because what that means is we haven't been bothered so much about any of the politics this year. Although there's a couple of big political stories, which we'll get to in, in a wee moment. But it's, it's you know, now... IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, we kind of know what we're going to get. And this year we got what we expected, which was lots of entertainment and exciting racing. Yeah, we didn't have uh, perhaps as many different people gracing the podium as we have in previous years. But that just speaks to the consistency of performance that we did get. And by the way, that's not to say that there weren't some surprise winners in there. There there were some heartwarming stories throughout the year. We saw Mazda getting its first program series series victory that's been coming for a very long time we saw porsche dominating the gtlm class for quite a good chunk of the season we saw gtd with variety Hmm. two cars winning two races back to back to begin the series and we thought that well maybe it's going to be a little bit of the same but no that changed toward the end of the season too and ultimately it was just a really good year of racing a wet one, albeit. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> there were a number of consistents during the year. One was the calendar, and that's never a bad thing. Scott Atherton yeah. and I often talk about date equity and venue equity. And he always says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, there was nothing that needed fixing from 2018, and therefore nothing was. A little bit of a change around where some of the, the different classes turned up. But the big story involved Scott himself. Um, decided he wanted to to step away and uh, a third of the way through the season um, we now know that John Doonan was approached by the organisation John Headman at the uh, Mazda Sporting Organisation in the USA and it will be John that takes the 
uh, the IMS, takes up the IMSA baton and, and moves the organisation forwards. Uh, it would be remiss of us to even get into the body of this programme without talking about Scott Atherton and what he's brought to IMSA and to sports car racing in the what couple of decades or so that he's been uh, involved uh, directly with ALMS and IMSA and probably three decades that he's been involved in motorsport in general. Do you subscribe to the generally held, held fact, Cher, that Scott has left sports car racing in North America in a uh, somewhat better state than he found it? Yes, and the biggest argument towards Scott Atherton's legacy is the fact that he was chosen to bring together two series that didn't always see eye to eye, two very different organizations in terms of where they came from and what they hoped to accomplish, and made it into one series that's very harmonious. And there's very little us versus them remaining in the paddock a short five years after these two, what were all but not well they weren't outwardly proclaimed enemies but they certainly looked at one another with a little bit of contempt as far as the dates going along and the series you were either came from one side or the other people don't care if you were grand dam or alms we're just one family yeah that's a very good point that you make there share and i saw that as a poison chalice and i didn't expect and i've told scott this i'm not saying any uh, anything out of school here. I didn't expect Scott to stay any time longer than he had to after the two series came together. Grand Am and LMS came from two diametrically opposing philosophies in terms of how they organised their races and the audience that they went after. And indeed, even their sporting regulations were very, very different. What that mm-hmm. left was, for the most part, and particularly in America, left two fan groups that were very opposed to each other. There wasn't much crossover, uh, an extraordinary small amount of crossover. If you talk to uh, the guys who had to do the mergers of uh, the merge of the two databases, an extraordinary small, I think less than 10% crossover um, between the, the two the two championships as they, they were. And Scott, not only did he uh, stay on, but he stayed on much longer than even I think he thought he was going to. And he, it, it's, you said five years. That animosity, that was gone within 18 months. And, and what, yeah. what we have now is an extremely strong, I would say, in terms of global motorsport, one of, if not the strongest sports car series in the world. And, I, and with due respect to the ACO and the WEC... If you take Le Mans out of that, because Le Mans will always be Le Mans, but in terms of a series, a championship, and where they find themselves, I'd say probably IMSA was knocking on or right at the top. I would completely agree with that. And what an honour it is to be a part of a series that has so many people that are happy to be there. And we get that honour, John, when we cover the Creventic series. Everybody's just happy. It's like a big party week in and week out. But with all due respect to Coventic, it's not the same pressure. There's not manufacturers pouring millions of dollars into it every The drivers are all relaxed in IMSA. We talk about Marion's all the time and how people just sit and chat with each other. And there really is that party atmosphere. I mean, the roar is coming up very, very soon. January is just around the corner. 
and already there's notes being passed back and forth. Hey, can't wait to see you in yeah. January, even yeah. if it's a little way away. The off season has been too long. Uh, yeah, and again, you, you make a very, very good point there in terms of the atmosphere within the paddock. I think it was a couple of petite ago, not the last one or the one before, maybe the one before that, uh, that I came out of Marion's uh, and I remember saying to Eve, the responsible adult, do you know what? I've just sat in there. Jeremy and I had run up for a, a quick bite to eat. So it must be three ago because I was still eating bread. So I was having a sandwich. Amazing <laughs> how, I, how I can date myself with that. Uh, and Jeremy and I had a quick sandwich and, and jumped on the golf cart and came back down again. And I said to Eve, I was sitting there, Jeremy and I were having a chat over to our right Italian being spoken to our left Spanish over there mm-hmm. uh, South American Spanish over there French bit more English over there American English bit more English English over there it was a real United Nations of sports car racing just as I remembered it in the early days of the American Le Mans series and the paddock has really come together uh, and I know Scott Atherton will always say um, it works because the team works and I agree with them about that, but the team takes its inspiration and also its intonation and its tone from the person at the top. And uh, Scott, uh, he'd be much missed. Uh, John Doonan, uh, big shoes to fill, but a different character. And I think that's good in in some ways. We've already had him on the shows uh, and we'll continue to do so. That part of what has made LMS IMSA uh, so great down through the years that uh, availability of the men in the top positions. I don't think that's going to change. And we wish Scott, of course, and his family all the very best for whatever the future brings. He will, of course, be staying on as a, a consultant and uh, helping out with that relationship, that crucial relationship, particularly at the moment in uh, what are uh, difficult and transitional times for the ACO and the FIAWEC. Scott Atherton is going to be the conduit between IMSA uh, and uh, that those other bodies uh, so best to look there um let's get into the body of the season uh we started off at the rolex 24 at daytona in terms of the competitive side of things for the weathertech sports car championship um it's got a gtd to start with uh gt daytona and much as in a couple of others uh, of the series that IMSA sanction that have GT manufacturers involved, and um, there is another programme that is dedicated to the uh, Michelin Pilot uh, Challenge and the other series that IMSA sanctioned, so keep your ears open for that uh, as well. Um, much as in that, we had a rather nice spread of manufacturers. Seven different manufacturers uh, registered in uh, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And if we take, for example, and don't forget we've got three championships here. We've got the main championship, WSC, Sprint Cup Championship, and that's just the shorter races. And the mirror image of that on the other side of the glass is the Michelin Endurance Cup for just <laughs> the long races. So those two, there's yin and yang there, Sprint Cup Championship and Michelin Endurance Cup. Let's start with the long race championship first. Well, it's true, isn't it? It's, which, you know, great. Uh, gives people the, the opportunity. So, by a point... In fact, actually, the whole field was spread by 10 points, showing you how competitive <laughs> it was uh, in just those Endurance Cup, Michelin Endurance Cup races. Uh, the, the unlucky 
team in some respects was Lexus. Uh, they finished on 27 points. Mm. Three points further ahead, Porsche. I don't normally mention everybody here, but I'm going to. Two points ahead of Porsche on 32, Acura in fifth. Tied with Lamborghini. And uh, if, if it went to a tie break, it would be Acura that got it because they had the best finish between those two. So they they got uh, 12 points mm-hmm. at Daytona and the best that Lamborghini got was 11th. Two points further he- ahead in fourth place is BMW. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight manufacturers. I'll just correct myself because we had a tie there when I was looking down. So fourth position for BMW with 34. Two points further ahead on a tie on points for effectively second place in the championship. Ferrari get... Uh, uh, 36 points and are listed as third position in the championship on count back because Audi had the slightly better results but still only clocked up 36 points in second. So they're on 36 and on 37 points, so literally the smallest margin we could have, Mercedes AMG win the Michelin Endurance Cup. Absolutely extraordinary how the manufacturers could not be... Um, separated for so much of the season in the long races. If you go to the Sprint Cup Championship and go to Manufacturer, well, that's just the short races, remember. A little bit better in terms of the winning margin, but we had three different manufacturers uh, within a point of each other in second, Lexus on 205, Lamborghini on 204 in third, and Acura in fourth, um, BMW on down a little bit uh, fewer points uh, a mass throughout the season uh, and ahead on points at the end of the season by 11 points Porsche who win the Sprint Cup Championship let's go to the full season and the weather tech sports guy I feel like a, I feel like a weather man <laughs> here uh, let's go to the full season and look at the the manufacturer championship there so we've had uh, we've had an AMG win and we've had a Porsche win in the Porsche. two a Porsche Porsche win in the two other championships in the long in the long season the full season 294 to 292 to 291 four in reverse order <laughs> on 291 Porsche Acura and Lamborghini take the championship mm-hmm. BMW and Lexus split by a point in fourth and fifth position 278 to 77 I mean we had the manufacturers, Jeremy was feverishly doing arithmetic at the end of all the rounds, particularly <laughs> those that fell into more than one championship, of course. Um, and just shows the nine manufacturers how close it's been. And uh, um, there is a stat for how many of them have, have led races and won races across the year uh, in, the, in the full championship. But generally speaking, I think we've had one of the most competitive years. Remember, this is a BOP, balance of performance, dirty words to some people. Surely people can't complain about this year. No. And I just love listening to you describing the close-knit gaps between all these different manufacturers and sitting here and picturing the streetcar version of whatever you first picture when you hear the term Porsche, which in my case is a Cayenne because that's what happens to be in the garage. BMW, I always think of a Z4. 
Um, Ferrari, of course, you think of the F40. Like, these are legendary cars that are associated with manufacturers' names. They're not necessarily what's out on the racetrack. Acura, I think of the, the SUV, the little MDX. Yeah. But this is the category where the cars are cars. They they are race cars, but they are also designed to attract people from, hey, you know this brand name because you see it on the street. Maybe you drive one. Come cheer for them. It's a little bit more human relatable in GTD. So the fact that Lamborghini narrowly beat Acura, yep. if you say that to a lay person, oh, they're going to say, well, shouldn't compute. Lamborghini have won by a bunch? Yes. It's not going to compute. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. But that's the joy of sports car racing, of course, and the variety that we get. Let's take a quick look at the uh, two partial season championships in terms of the drivers. Uh, no less close, by the way. Michelin Endurance Cup. Now, there's not big differences in how many points you can score. So it should come as uh, no surprise that the top dozen or so drivers were all within 10 points or so. Uh, ultimately, it came down to who worked out the longer races and being ahead when interim points were uh, awarded. And that was particularly important when we yeah. come to GTLM, which we'll come to at the moment. In the last couple of seasons where we've had the Endurance Championship and this year for the Michelin Endurance Cup for the first time, the past masters have, be- have been at uh, the... Ben Keating, uh, Jerome Blake and Morling with Philippe Fraga. Uh, and actually, if you like, the the power behind that throne has been the brain the size of a yeah. planet that is Bill Riley. And they take the championship by two points ahead of Cooper McNeil, Tony Vlander, uh, uh, Bill Orbelin in uh, joint... Oh, no, Bill was one point further back, sorry. Jeff Westfall, Cooper McNeil and Tony Vlander in, in second position. Bill one point further back with Dylan McIvan, uh, Robbie Forley, Daniel Morad, Chris Meese and Ricky Feller. Two different driver teams there which could not be separated in joint fourth position. But you've got to say, the Michelin Endurance Cup, it's Bill Riley's Cup. The, we might as well just call it the Michelin Bill Riley Endurance Cup. I'm pretty sure this is three years in a row that mm-hmm. Bill Riley has uh, manufactured win. But the more impressive thing to remember is that that Mercedes did not make it past turn four of Watkins Glen, which was a uh, championship round for this. So they won the cup doing three races. That's even more impressive. Very, very good point. And, and obviously, yes. Um, the 33 uh, won the team's championship by the same margin over Scuderia Corsa and Turner Motorsport and Monteplast by Land and Shank Racing, the 86 car. If you've got the Sprint Cup championship, that's a bit of a different mindset that you have to have. Some of these races very short uh, indeed. Uh, and in terms of the drivers here, we've talked about the manufacturer being Porsche. So, Zachary Robichon, Trent Hinman, uh, second with Mario Farnbacher as his teammate. And again, five points, the difference. Uh, Zachary Robichon taking the victory there, the team's championship. However, going to the 86 Maya Shank Racing with Curb Agajanian team. Because, and it all comes down to Belle Isle. Yep. Faf did not run Belle Isle, but Zachary Robichon did in the Park Place Porsche code driving with Pat Long. They finished second. That same race, the 86 had their 
first and one of two DNFs on the year. Uh, when there was a crash out on the circuit, the second DNF was actually mechanical at Petit Le Mans, which obviously didn't count toward the Sprint Cup. But that was the difference maker. Zach Robichon was good. He was better when he had a factory co-driver in the form of Patrick Long at Belle Isle the second. Weimar in Road America with Dennis Olsen and Matty Campbell, respectively, two wins. So there was a big difference made when Porsche made the extra effort to put in the factory driver. Take nothing away from Scott Hargrove's performances, but that did push everything over the limit. Let's move on to the big championship then in GT Daytona. A little confusing here, but I think it's only right that we give time to the Michelin Endurance Cup and Sprint Cup Championship, particularly as the results don't always correlate with what's happened uh, elsewhere in the championship. Now, if you want to go for the full championship and you enter for the full season, then the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, the full season championship, will be the one that catches your eye. A lot of the same people involved, of course, at the sharp end of the field. Zachary Robichon, we've just mentioned, he ended up in third position in the big championship. Again, third on his own because of the way that he swapped the teams uh, uh, around uh, in the championship. Um, Actually, no, because Belle Isle wasn't a part of the main championship this year, was it? Correct. No, it was a sprint-only round for yes. GTD. So, so that, how did Zach end up first. on his own then in third position? Or did he because, not? Yes, he did. No, he he did because Hargrove was pulled from the car. Yes. And they plunked in uh, one of the two factory drivers on the respective weekends at Lime Rock and Road America. Yes, of course. Of course. Zach Lee Robichon on 262 points actually scored exactly the same point as the two-driver team that finished second in the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for GTT. That being Bill Oberlin and Robbie Foley, BMW through and through, the pair of those guys. And the headline on the season for Bill Oberlin, uh, of course, comes uh, when we talk uh, about him and his uh, IMSA record in total. Now, uh, at the after Road Atlanta, on the same number of of wins as Scott Pruitt at the very, very summit of driver wins in the series. Driver wins in North America, too, for sports car racing. So it's a very big honour that Bill Oberlin accomplished at Petit Le Mans. It was Turner's second win of the season. They had a bad start, the 96 BMW, but then... They turned it around with some good luck crystals starting at Watkins Glen. At least that's what they were claiming. Four podium in a row, including the win at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, too. Their average finish, though, was 6.2, 6.8. Not the best average finish, but still good enough for second championship. It's something to build upon to come back next year. Uh, the winners, uh, Mario Farnbacher and Trent Hinman, very, very good season for them their worst result uh netted the, was WeatherTech. no it was Royal Atlanta last of the season wasn't it was it? Petite. yeah yeah yep when the stone came through the radiator yep. just a little bit before halfway through the race um they only got one win on the air which is a bit surprising because Watkins we were Glenn, always talking about them being there correct it was the the Glen. They did finish second four times, uh, and they netted an average finish of 4.09, obviously the best in GTD, but still an average finish that was off the podium. They were more than 30 points short 
of the champions from the year before. Oh, really? So they didn't score nearly as many points. Uh, excuse me. They were they were so far off the points tally that even not counting Detroit, they were still more than 30 points off. Right, so even right. if you count the race that they didn't get to for points, yeah, yeah. they were still well short of the tally of Sellers and Snow. But there were still 21 points ahead of the Turner Motorsport pair uh, and Correct. the... Uh, Faf Motorsport team in in third uh, position. Magnus Racing in. We're talking about the teams now, but this roughly correlates with the drivers. Magnus Racing fourth position for them. Uh, some three points yeah. ahead of Scuderia Corsa. Disappointment. I think the biggest disappointment will be the Lexus, the Aim Vassar Sullivan cars. The best of those, the number fourteen yeah. in sixth. The other one in eighth position, uh, and the the second Mayashank Racing. Kerbagajanian car, the cat-sponsored 57, that one down in ninth position. Uh, defending champions had a tough year in IMSA Racing and uh, Paul uh, Miller Racing, they were uh, defending their championship uh, without having the same drivers, of course. They finished in 10th position. Park Place, 11th. Yep. Compass, 12th. I mean, there's some big teams and some big driver names in there who didn't get anywhere near the sniff of a championship this year. No, and, and it's very weird to look back at how many of the big teams had pretty low, average, pretty high average finishes. Yeah. They, they didn't achieve the results that they wanted. Paul Miller still stood on every single step of the podium this year. The win at Laguna, the second at Road America, and the third at Mid-Ohio. The problem was there's a whole lot of bad results in between there. Magnus, for example, they stood on the podium twice, but that was it. Everything else was a bad result. Scuderia Corsa, they got four podiums on the year. Unfortunately, the other, what, eight were not good finishes. So it was just a very strange year. You mentioned Lexus. They'll be happy that they got two poles and two wins, but then they'll be wondering, now wait a minute, what about all the other finishes that we missed out on? What about all the other races that we could have, should have, maybe won? And then you throw in the fact that we had, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams that ran partial seasons. And including those eight teams is Grasser that came in and won Daytona and Sebring. So that certainly didn't help when you consider a non-full season entry coming in and cleaning up two of the biggest prizes. Uh, And and I think it does show, though, doesn't it, the strength in depth and that BOP is working here. Balance of performance actually balances performance, shocker, to... Uh, paraphrase <laughs> Declan Brennan and his cost capping actually caps costs uh, comment from a few years ago on Midweek Motorsport. But the, the, you know, if you have a bad race, if you have a problem, making ground back up is very difficult yeah. because the cars, there's not that much difference. Also, it wasn't a festival of changes to balance of performance. So there were there were going to be races where one manufacturer or one team had an advantage at one race and you know then another had a slightly better car at the next race or the one two after that and that spread out the the point scoring throughout the whole field I, I, I think Jeremy did say at one stage out of the nine manufacturers seven had led uh, the uh, the races on merit not just in pit stop cycles and and I think I think he said that during the year. And I think everybody was in the top three at some stage in terms of running, pace running within the races. And that's, I mean, that's a great problem to have for us as, as spectators. 
because we really don't know who's going to win. It's a tough one. And fair play to Imza for selling this to the manufacturers because there's nine manufacturers there, all of whom want to win every week, of course, with one of their cars. And really, that's not going to happen. Realistically, you get a couple of wins on the season, you're doing well. Well, and ultimately, bringing this full circle, that's why Lamborghini were champions in GTD because they won three races. Yeah. And that spoke legends i mean bmw won two lexus won two porsche won two acura got one but because lamborghini had one more than anyone else that ultimately resulted in them taking the championship and consistency paid you could not afford to have a dnf a mechanical failure this is nip and tuck racing there's sometimes a little bit of rubbing in there and a bit of contact but you couldn't afford to let that affect your race year no exactly and I think back to how amazing this season was from one example alone at Road America. Ben Keating qualified on pole. It was very early on in the race that he had a bearing fail in the left rear. And immediately the race was over. They were at the back of the pack just circulating round and round going, well, great. But that's how quickly things can change. Yeah, I did quite often. Shea Adam is joining me, John Hindoff, as we look back on the 2019 uh, IMSA uh, Championship season for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Let's move on to the second of uh, the GT categories. This is GT Le Mans, GTE, uh, if you're talking in ACO Le Mans parlance, running to the same specification uh, of the cars. And again, we'll start with the Michelin Endurance Cup. And of mirroring what went on in GT Daytona. Uh, the manufacturer title here went to Ford in what we now know is the last season for Ford and uh, no Ford, certainly no Ford in the shape of Chip Ganassi Racing joining us at the row before the Rolex 24 or indeed the Rolex 24 at Daytona itself. Two points away from the win in second place Porsche. There's a story there. We'll come to that. Chevrolet will be distraught at being five points further back in third position, one ahead of BMW in fourth, who were three ahead of Ferrari uh, in fifth. Ferrari, of course, only having done uh, two races in that Michelin Endurance Cup, the only time we saw uh, the uh, Risi Competizione Ferrari. If we go to the Sprint Cup uh, Championship... uh, Yep. They don't have one. It was only GTD. Ah, uh, yes. Good question. So why is that? I, I see. I see what it's done. If we go to the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship uh, there, look at the manufacturers there, Porsche turned the table on Ford and win it by three points over Chevrolet, who were another 15 points further back in third. Still distraught, by the way. BMW, three points <laughs> further back in fourth position. And this is where the two outings from Ferrari really uh, show. Daytona, they finished on the podium, second place, and they won at Road Atlanta. So not a bad average finish for Risi Competizione, mm-hmm. but only uh, the two uh, times that we saw uh, the guys out there. Uh, Michelin Endurance Cup team went to Ford Chip Ganassi, number 67. Uh, and the team's championship overall goes to uh, the Porsche team. It was per many one from two of the Porsche team with Corvette 
uh, tying actually the number 911 team with their number three car uh, for second and third position goes to Porsche on count back four points further back was the best of the Fords now let's talk about Michelin Endurance Cup then and I said there was a story there and the story of the Michelin Endurance Cup is the story of Porsche getting it wrong by about a couple of laps barely five miles at uh, the final Endurance Cup, Michelin Endurance Cup race of the season, which was Petit Le Mans, when Nick Tandy came in just before points were given out. And basically, admitted to us in Midweek Motorsport a few weeks ago, Shea, it was just a miscalculation. They didn't get the previous pit stop at the right time. They filled it up, but they were too short, even with him doing some pretty serious fuel saving from very early on in that stint in the middle of the race. Which is pretty much a, a very rare occasion. Yeah. I mean, I I don't even know. It's a unicorn, actually, that Gary Davies would get his numbers wrong because he so very rarely has in the past. But it's also sort of making me think about Daytona coming up because they, they don't often repeat mistakes and they learn from their lessons. What have they been studying in the offseason? about being two laps short, five miles short at Road Atlanta that will help them when we come to Daytona, which is 3.56 miles. Maybe they're they're figuring something out in the off-season. They've got a new car, of course, to get to grips with. Yep. Uh, uh, the WAC team's got the uh, what's called the RSR 19, rather um, confusingly for us because our season starts at 20. Um, but they got that in <laughs> September. Everybody changed their... Uh, Team Gear as well uh, at that point in the even in the IMSA uh, season. So Nick Tandy and Patrick Peeler finish a point away from Richard Westbrook and Ryan Briscoe, who win uh, the Michelin Endurance Cup for Ford. Uh, in third position was Scott Dixon for Ford. Fourth position, Dirk Muller and Joey Hand. Uh, and then it was Earl Bamba and Lawrence Vantor. That's in the Michelin Endurance Cup. I was actually pleasantly surprised at how annoyed Nick Tandy clearly was to have missed out on that. A lot of people will look at these these other championships, other than the main, other than the main uh, championship title for the year, Shane, and say, yeah, it's a bit of something and nothing. Yeah, well, it's not if you're in with a shout of it, and at the last yawning moment, you lose it by a point or a couple of points. These drivers will tell you, taking a trophy home for four endurance races and particularly when the the Pele Tandy combo in the endurance races had been so good against everybody including their teammates uh, even when they had the same number of race wins on the year Tandy and Pele kept saying yeah but our races were longer so we're actually doing better yeah no but they're they're right I mean they won the 12 hours of Sebring they won the six hours of the Glen they did the heavy lifting I mean Ultimately, and we'll get to it when we talk about the teams, I'm sure, in, in the manufacturer breakdown, BMW walked away with a Rolex. And at that point in time, mm. everybody else was going, all right, what else can I come home with? What's my consolation prize? If yes. I'm not going to get a tutor for winning the championship, I want Good that point. list that says, hey, I won the Michelin Endurance Cup. I was better at all of you guys at these long races. Pele and Tandy have those wins to look back on. They wanted the championship trophy to wave in their teammates' faces too. It was uh, Gustav Farfus uh, and uh, Colton Herter 
who, alongside series regular uh, Conor de Filippi, took the watches at, at Daytona for GTD for BMW. And, and Philip Eng, because remember, Tom Blomqvist couldn't make the first race yeah. this season. Where's Philippe Eng's name? So oh, there he... it is. I missed Philippe Eng's name. Yes, Blomqvist couldn't uh, get to the race for a variety of reasons. So those guys took the, the Rolex in some style uh, and uh, won the 24. And, and ultimately, Jones, that was about it. Yeah. Because the rest of the season, they struggled massively. They finished fourth and seventh a handful of times, but only four podium trips between the two cars all year long. It was not a good year for BMW. They can look back on January very fondly, but they do have something else to hang their hats on. One DNF between the two cars all year. That's very impressive. But if they had a disappointing season for BMW Team RLL, both the 25 and the 24 car finished ahead of the number four Corvette. They had an awful season, an yeah. absolutely awful season. And can I say it, an awful season again for those guys? They've really yes. had no luck. And Ollie Gavin, in particular, must be wondering what he's got to do. Tommy Milner missed a couple of races during the year with that weird viral infection that knocked him sideways. Marcel Fesler came and yeah, stepped in. Broken the, wrist. Uh, sorry, broken wrist. Yes, uh, it was a, a broken wrist. It was Joey Hand who had the um, hand Correct. had the virus and the hand injury was uh, Tommy Milner. Um, <laughs> they finished right. in 10th and 11th in the Manufacturers' Championship. Uh, Marcel Fesler jumped into that Corvette, the number four car, for the, the longer races. So nothing wrong with the driving yeah. talent there, but Particularly, I mean, no. just not a banner year for the last year of the C7R. So the four Corvette finished sixth or lower eight out of the 11 races. It was just a weird season. And typically with Corvette, one car does better than the other. But this was especially rare. Gavin, though, you want to prove his speed over one lap. He was faster pretty much every time among the GTLM drivers than all of the BMW drivers. So Ollie was still on it. Before I get to the sharp end of the field and the third, second and first teams, which are only two manufacturers, I do want to say a word about Risi Competizione. When they came and raced, they were great. They were competitive on the podium both time. So, uh, yeah. Uh, second uh, and a first. Now, uh, there will be people who said, yeah, well, they, you know, IMSA didn't have all the data on those guys, so the balance of performance might not have been as close uh, as it was. They still had to win, and they had to win in two of the longest, hardest races that we've got in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, a lot of people disagreed with me, but I thought the fact that Daniel Serra and James Collado, along with Alessandro Perghidi, three factory drivers, were back again for that squad at 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 Le Mans, at Road Atlanta. I thought that was a good look. It's, it shows that Ferrari is still interested in supporting uh, Giuseppe Ricci when he puts a car out there. The question will be, will we see it more than a couple of times or even in, indeed at all for next year? And that's a question that we couldn't get answered. And I, I really hope it does because <laughs> everybody, you know, that, that win at uh, Motul Petit Le Mans, Cher, Every team up and down the 
pit lane, whether they were in GTE or other classes, GT uh, Le Mans or other classes, the second their second favourite team is always Ferrari, isn't it? It was a very popular win. Yeah, yeah, everyone was happy about that win. And John, if if the shrine I have set up in my closet that you know the the nightly sacrifices that I make to the Ferrari racing gods works, then I think Racing might come back. Uh, Giuseppe was very upset after Daytona. He felt as he had a car that could win the 24 hours that would have a really good shot at getting him a Rolex. But the problem ultimately was the red flag. It came out. The car was in second. It would have been in third, by the way, if the red flag had come out one lap sooner when the 67 Ford that had been leading had to make a pit stop because it was running out of fuel. So yeah. I I do feel still gutted for that crew. They would have gotten two in a row. Um, and that would have made a big difference to the championship aggrieved. as well. Yes, yes. Um, he felt very aggrieved at the fact that the red flag came out when it did, that his car wasn't given a proper opportunity to go out and get a win. We went off and spent the year thinking about racing, whether or not it was worth investing in, whether or not this was still something he wanted to be a part of. So he walked away from it for a while. But when he came back for Petit Le Mans, the overwhelming rejoicement of the paddock, the happiness, the family attitude. I mean, everybody was going up to Giuseppe and saying, welcome back. We missed you. I think that really did make a difference. And come come January, when the Rolex entry list comes around, I really hope slash feel that Reese might be on there. I think it will. I think it will be on there. And it's... Uh, an endurance motor race without Ferrari um, is, I mean, without Ferrari or without Porsche, is is kind of like it's not really fair. Yeah. You, you feel it's a bit wrong. I know Ferrari it's like a cake without icing. Some people will say, but Ferrari as a brand haven't uh, been massively involved in endurance racing for a very long ta- <coughs> time. Excuse me, and that's true. And they haven't got a great. Uh, finish records in things like the Nürburgring 24 and I can't answer the question why would that be the case but particularly in North America Ferrari do have that history of endurance racing uh, in contemporary times and Giuseppe Risi has been the standard bearer for so long I really hope he comes back let's get to the top three then in the GT Le Mans Drivers Championship Uh, third and second actually tied on points on count back uh, it goes to uh, on count back. It uh, goes to uh, Jan Magnussen and uh, Antonio Garcia in third position. Another year without a win for Jan and Antonio, but an- <laughs> another year where pretty much to what two thirds, three quarter distance, they were still certainly in with a bit better than an outside chance of the championship. Yeah, terribly disappointing year for this duo. I mean, they only got six podiums out of 11 races. So what's the point of even showing up if that's your uh, your goal? Their average average finish for this car was 3.73. Now, remember when I mentioned a little bit earlier on the uh, championship winning finish in GTD 4.0. So Yan and Antonio had a better average finish, finish than the GTD champions did. And they finished third in the points Antonio Garcia though got to give credit to him his speed is unquestionable he is so fast in terms of the fastest lap amongst all the drivers in GTLM he was within the top three 
for the third or fourth year in a row. And that in itself is remarkable. We know that when the 2020 season rolls around, it won't be on Magnuson driving with Antonio for the first time in forever. Actually, yeah, not in a Corvette since the first time since I was in middle school. Um, But Antonio driving with Jordan Taylor, it's going to be a very different look to that team. But with Antonio's speed, you know that the three is still going to be in for a championship shout. Yeah. Uh, new car, of course, for Corvette next year. Um, it's not like they're just going to plonk it on the track, uh, having nobody seen it, none of the drivers having seen it, or the team <laughs> having seen it. Uh, when they get to Daytona, there's been an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes, but the first year of a new car is always uh, traditionally very difficult. They've uh, made the best out of the C7R, and this is a big change, remember, to going to a mid-engine car. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, as the season progresses uh, for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. As far as the top two in the championship is concerned, and by the way, if you're a Blue Oval fan, I haven't forgotten them. I'll come back to them after we've talked about our championship winners. Um, Nick Tandy and Patrick Peele uh, ultimately finished 13 points away from their teammates, Lawrence Vanter and Earl Bamba. The uh, Porsche GT North America team um, swept all before them and... Uh, easily had the most wins on the season if you combined their entries. They took the team's championship uh, as well. Uh, Porsche took the manufacturer championship as we've documented. Uh, Tandy and Pele a little aggrieved, I think, that they ran their teammates so close. When it came down to it, when Porsches were having a bad weekend, and they did have a couple of bad weekends, it seemed that Nick and Patrick had worse weekends than Earl and Lawrence. And, and, and I'm not suggesting yep. at all that that was driver-induced. But each of the times that the Porsches didn't do that well, um, then it was it was the 911 car that did the worst of the two. I'm thinking particularly about Road America, um, when yep. they only yep. got the 24 points. WeatherTech, 24 points for Earl and Lawrence. Oh, opportunity for Nick Tandy and Patrick. No. Only 23, finished a point there and placed behind them. Um, and it's on such small margins. CTMP was the same. Uh, you know, finished a couple of places down on their teammates. I mean, such small margins, championships turn on those tiny, tiny differences. Yeah, I mean, you look at the wins Sebring, Watkins Glen, VIR, Poles at Daytona, Sebring, Long Beach. You look at that on paper and you go, you know what? This was a pretty good year. Yeah, but that was for the second place car. That was the team that came second. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what's going to make them extra fired up. We don't know if it'll be Patrick and Nick back for next year yet. We'll wait and see what it says on the official entry list. That's what I always believe. But they had so many wins this year. I mean, three out of the six wins for the non-championship winning difference was the average finish fourth for the second in championship car 3.27 for the championship winners so it was that much but you're completely right sean the bad weekends seem to be more bad more detrimental for the 911 than the bad weekends for the 912 if you were going to put a porsche super team together and bear in mind between the two cars they won six of 11 races took five poles the two top performing drivers in GTLM were Porsche drivers, Earl Bamba and Nick Tandy. Yep. And there was really absolutely nothing in terms of fastest lap times um, for 
those two drivers. So you'd say put Bamba and Tandy together, wouldn't you? Mm. Or do you split? Well, or do you split your options? The, the interesting thing when I went through and looked at the fastest lap time over a race some of those were sprint races so of course the finishing driver always benefits bamber was always the finishing driver except for daytona when he qualified the car but again daytona is an endurance race that doesn't really count but it normally means is that the driver who start does not get fresh tires yeah therefore they can't pull out the same lap times that the drivers the second drivers can on the fresh tires bamber was pretty much always on fresh tires tires tandy didn't qualify the car. He he finished a couple of times, but he also started the car multiple times. He got a few pulls this year. With that in mind, that there were races where he didn't have the prime tires, he finished 0.01 of a second off the fastest average time that Earl Bamber was able to do in the same thing, hmm. which to me means that Tandy is almost more valuable because he can do more with less. But... I'm not entirely sure that those two would be best as teammates. Otherwise, someone in Vysok would have thought of that and done it by now. Well, and the clever thing for the eventual champions, the 9-1-2, Bamthor, they've got their own brand now. Uh, and I think it's even, uh, they've actually copyrighted it or trademarked it, uh, actually. They've got their own um, apparel line and stuff like that. At the end of the twenty. 20- 18 season, they sat down. Uh, they've clearly got a great rapport and relationship in and out of the car, have Earl and Lawrence. And I like them both. Uh, and they're, they're not the same character. They are slightly different, quite different characters. And I, I like them both. I, I like Nick and, and Patrick as well. And they're different characters to each other. But they sat down at the end of last season, Earl and Lawrence, and tried to work out what they felt their individual strengths were that they could play to to make the team of Bamthor quicker. And they came up with this idea, and we've reported on it during the year, it wasn't a secret. They've had a strategy, which was, Lawrence, when you're in the car, all you've got to think about is qualifying. So go and set the car up for qualifying. Earl, when you're in the car, all you've got to think about is longevity of the tyres and getting a race balance on that car. So that's what you do. And then Lawrence would go out and qualify, start the race, didn't have to worry about his tyres too much. He was on an opening stint. As soon as he could get in, when the window opened or when there was a yellow flag, he would come in. Earl, new set of Michelins, until the end of the race. Why does nobody else do that? It seems so <laughs> blindingly obvious that you go, oh my God. It was it was genius. And it was the drivers that came up with that. So you're talking about all the strategies to Vysak at Porsche Motorsport Headquarters, but it was the two drivers that came up with that share. And I'm convinced that paid a yep. significant, paid a significant dividend in them winning the championship. Well, I really hope that both of those guys are in the top tier status of whatever airline they choose, because there were only four race weekends where they didn't earn some sort of trophy that they would have had to take back home with them. Hmm. So that, it speaks volumes. We talk about the competitiveness of IMSA and particularly of GTLM. To have one manufacturer win six races in a year is unheard of. It was completely unprecedented before this year. They did five in a row, did Porsche. Yeah. But for one duo to come away with seven trophies and a very, very big one, by the way, at the end of the year, too, that 
is revolutionary. Uh, and contrast with the final year of the RSR in its current form, uh, albeit the new car is an evolution. It's not as revolutionary as a change that was a couple of seasons ago and as the Corvette will be to the final year of the C7R. Now, normally you say you get you make the biggest gains in the early years of a car's life and when it's to the end, you really, you're fighting a bit of a rear guard action. That's what it looked like at Corvette when this year they had the oldest GT Le Mans car in the field. Um, Porsche is not as old as that, but clearly at the end of its development and was stopped developing that car some time ago but my goodness they turned that into an advantage they knew that car inside out and they were able even on the race tracks where they knew they weren't going to be suited to grinding out results i, I thought it was a stellar year yeah. for the for the the Porsche the- team and and I, and i know there are people out there who said yeah but they got a favorable bop they didn't get a favourable BOP. They were no. seldom the quickest car out there. For every, certainly weren't for every race. Um, they were winning races when they weren't the quickest car through clever strategy and playing to the cars and the driver's strengths. Um, I thought that was a proper, proper championship team win in the way that we've seen happen in the past in, say, Michelin Pilot Challenge for Team TGM that we saw this year for Carbon, um, where they didn't necessarily have the best cars this year either. I just thought it was a good team win from strategy to, to team, a pit stop to driver, producing the goods when it mattered. And if they had a sixth or seventh place car in an eight car field, if they could bring it home fourth and fifth, that seemed to be what they did. Yeah, and, and full credit to the team as a whole. And the tires, because that's mm. where they found their advantage. Good they point. did a lot of work in the offseason. They talked a lot with Michelin, and they figured out which compound would work best at each and every racetrack. They only missed at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Yeah, every other track. That's a tough track on tires, though. And 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 in yep. f- and in fact, over at Corvette, it's interesting you mentioned that because you've just jogged my memory on a on a short but telling conversation I had with Danny Binks, Dan Binks from Corvette Racing, where I said to him, and I think that was at WeatherTech as well, did the uh, BOP get you today then? Nah, we got the tyres completely wrong. And that's that's very interesting Mm. how, how... it, you know, that played through the season. Um, I haven't talked about the Blue Oval. Uh, it's a farewell, a fond farewell, uh, I'm sure, for most people to the Ford GT. Uh, a GT car built uh, from a concept like no other. Built like a prototype, designed yep. with aerodynamics that, in fact, prototypes aren't allowed to have in some parts of, of those cars. <laughs> An absolutely gorgeous piece of... And I'm not criticising that, by the way. They... they Saw the regulations. They built that car to go and win at Le Mans. It won at Le Mans. They've then turned it into a very good race car at plenty of other circuits as well. I always got the feeling that it was best at at slightly more wide-open circuits when they could make the best of that aero at quicker tracks where the downforce in in medium and high-speed corners was going to come into play. Um, Sebring... Could have had a victory there. Uh, well, and and here's the other bitter, bittersweet part of that, John. The four GT in four years of running won at every track except Sebring, Road Atlanta, VIR, Mid Ohio, and Long Beach. Five racetracks that didn't conquer out of the 
12 that it set out to do. Yeah. So, so when more you than consider the Daytona 20. Yeah. Yeah. Daytona 24 hours. Yeah, got got that big win. Le Mans got that big win. I mean, it, it did everything that was asked of it. And it, it performed admirably. It was a fan favorite. It gave us some excellent racing. Well, and I, I go back to not, well, I was going to say, go back to the tyre situation we talked about before, probably the most memorable Ford moment of the year. Certainly, I enjoyed it. Richard Westbrook, uh, not being asked <laughs> to put his pink fluffy slippers on and save fuel for once, yes. driving like a man possessed and chasing down and passing the eventual champions. Uh, it was Earl Bamber that finished the race there, wasn't it, for Porsche? Yep. And, and taking the victory. And that was down to great strategy on the pits and on the tyres. And Porsche got it wrong that day. It cost them a victory. Chip Ganassi didn't yep. and gave it basically at the second half of the race, said to Westy, this is what we're going to do. All right, you're the man. Take it down the field and get it in the end zone. And my goodness, he did that with yep. spades, didn't he? With absolutely was, with bells on it. It was a, hey, hey Westy go fetch situation and man did he ever I, I i compare him a bit to tom brady because hmm. he is the guy who is always leading a team to a championship whether or not they get it is the other part of the equation but he is such a consistent reliable fast driver he was just barely off the fastest lap average of Bamber and Tandy, just barely ahead of Garcia as well. And he's the one who was the most gutted over the Daytona and the Sebring losses, but didn't let that hold him back. The team, alongside Ryan Briscoe, let's not forget, they got two wins this year. That Lime Rock win, which was a sight to behold in itself, but then also Road America, which was a much quieter yeah, win. And yeah. that's sort of the way the four GT worked. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Westy. Uh, and all right, you know, he, he's worked very hard. He was often thought of, ironically, given this season, he was thought of in his early career as a Porsche specialist. Um, multiple <laughs> uh, Porsche Cup winner in, in Europe, in the UK and in Super Cup as well, of course. Um Made that transition, reinvented himself, some people would say. Drove some prototype uh, in the GT cars as well. And I think that prototype experience stood him in really good stead for driving the port, the the, uh, the Ford GT. But, I mean, the calibre of the other drivers and the, the factor of how recognisable their other drivers' names are, Shea, they are going to be a big miss. When you look at Scott Dixon, you look at Sebastian Bordier, um, Ryan Briscoe, you know, all of those drivers. Joey Hans got a big following uh, as well, you know. Yeah. But when Bordier came in, I mean, he was outstanding. And, and losing, oh. losing the Ford as a brand is bad. Losing, if, if, if there is one thing that we have to, you know, pull up about this season is, um, going into next season is, that will be a tough act to follow. Losing the Blue Oval is bad. Yep. Ford rumoured to be coming back um, with the new DPI regs in a couple of seasons' time. But in the meantime, what do you do and what happens whether those drivers, all of the Ford drivers actually, are big names? And IMSA, replete with big names? Yes. Can it afford to lose yeah. half a dozen of some of their biggest names? 
I'm not sure. I'm not saying that Ims is going to well, implode. Of course it won't. But those are those are hellishly good drivers to be sitting around, you know, playing on the uh, on the the Xbox uh, and and competing in Forza <laughs> RC. Well, thankfully for me, they're not, um, because then I would feel even worse about my ability to drive in a straight line on Forza. Um, we already know that Briscoe is joining Wayne Taylor Racing for next year. He's going to be lining up alongside Ranger Van Zandt, smart hire. the endurance driver, very smart hire. The endurance driver for that duo is Scott Dixon. They'll be joined by Kamui Kobayashi for Daytona. So we do know that at least two of the four drivers are going to be held up in that team. As for Sebastian Bourdais, I got to give this man a little bit of 2019 love before I can move on to 2020. He was amongst the best average fast lap drivers in GTLM, period. He was at 0.274. The next best for non-full season drivers was half a sec. So Bourdais was almost half, half the time. Bourdais was was almost twice as fast as the next driver who ran just the endurance races. He came in, filled for Joey when Joey was sick, got a pole position. He was just supremely impressive. And ultimately, we know that Bourdais, out of a ride in IndyCar for 2020, as it is right now, will be doing a full season of IMSA with the JDC Miller Motorsport prototype, the Mustang sampling car. So we know that Bourdais is actually not only out of an endurance ride, but he's into a full season ride. So a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel there. He probably wouldn't have taken that if the Ford thing wasn't available. Mm. Joey and Dirk, that's where I get nervous because these two guys have been in IMSA forever. They are from other mothers. That's what they say all the time about one another. The bright side at the end of the tunnel for both of these guys, at least that I can say, if it was the end for their driving duo, for that legendary duo, they got a win at Laguna, which is Joey's home track. And he had never won there before. Extraordinary start, so 2019, that, wasn't it? right? 2019, at least they can have that little bit of happiness to wrap up what has been such a great dynamic duo. We wish them all the best, of course, and we will miss uh, the sights and sounds of those fantastic machines. You're listening to a special programme from the Radio Show Limited Network of Channel. Shea Adam is joining me, John Hindorf, as we look back on the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. GT Le Mans and GT Daytona, done. Let's move on to the thoroughbreds, the prototypes. And as we move into the second part, or the third part, I suppose you'd say, of this programme... LMP2. It's a tough one, Shay. It's not going to take very long. Well, <laughs> right. Let, let's talk about what ha- happened uh, in terms of the announcements during the year before we get on the championship, because it won't take us long to talk about the year's championship. Straight up and down, it wasn't great. Uh, only two cars for the whole season, only two drivers within those two cars, one in each that ran the full season as well. We'll come back to that in a moment. IMSA have not allowed that to dishearten them. And when we had the state of the series and the announcements for the 2020 season at Road America, uh, some changes to LMP2, which have been asked for by current teams and potential teams. And it would seem that, by the way, those have already borne fruit with more teams wanting to be involved. The biggest one being that 
Daytona is na- not now part of the championship, although there's still an LMP2 class there. And still, crucially, a very lovely uh, Daytona, Rolex Daytona Cosmograph watch up for grabs for the top step of the podium, the drivers that reach that heady height. So the good news is that LMP2, for me, is not going away. I still think it's an important class to have in IMSA because it ties it directly to Le Mans and to the ACO championships in other parts of the world. The other good thing about LMP2 was qualifying. Qualifying was brilliant. And I got super excited about qualifying. None better than at the end of the season where the pole position for Matul Patilamon in LMP2 changed 111,000 times in the 15 (laughs) minutes or the 20-minute session that we had. Uh, I exaggerate mildly uh, on that. Just a little bit. Yeah, but we just couldn't get throughout the season for any serious and meaningful amount of time. We couldn't get a battle on track between the cars, which was a shame because the two teams are super competitive and the cars were very closely matched and, you know, the the drivers were pretty closely matched. But for one reason or another, it just never happened. Yeah, it, it was sort of that elephant in the room acknowledged that what they came for and and it came at the cost ultimately of multi-class racing whether it was Elio running into the back of Cameron Castle's Motil Petit Le Mans and that car then DNF or mechanical issue or whatever it happened to be it always seemed that one car would stumble just as the battle was starting to heat up. So that was very frustrating. But the qualifying, you rightly hit on it. There is a penalty for starting your non-qualifying driver. But when that penalty means you're starting second, they put on a show for us no matter what in qualifying. And we would get the fastest of the fastest drivers in LMP2 out there for a 15-minute session. It was just great. We've already found out we're going to be having more cars next year. So there's just going to be even more of that for us, John. I think it was telling, Cher, and I'd be interested in your comments on this. Um, all right, two drivers run every race, two only two cars for the full season. Um, Cameron Castles, you might see as the unlucky fella. Uh, he uh, didn't win the championship, but he did win the 12 Hours of Sebring, well. and that took him to the Jim Truman Award, which means he's got an entry to Le Mans. Uh, championship winner, Matt McMurray, uh, maturing nicely as a driver after a bit of a false start and a false dawn to his career that saw him as the youngest ever driver uh, replacing um, Gunnar Jeanette as the youngest youngest ever driver at Le Mans. He tried his luck in uh, various European series and didn't quite deliver, I think, what he, he should have or felt he should have. And I think that knocked his confidence a bit. He takes home a championship this year. How much... He will look back on that uh, with with pride, I'm not sure, because of everything we've talked about. But here's the kicker, Shea. Neither full-season team was stood on the top step of the the podium and therefore got the Rolex at the Daytona 24 hours. And neither of them even got to the chequered flag at Petite. What does that say? Yeah. There's still work to do. Mm. Um, The best team to come in all year long arguably dragon speed they were very much a powerhouse at the rolex they wound up walking away with four watches 
that is going to be the goal that everyone chases when they come into the 2020 season, because that's what the championship teams were unable to accomplish. It's the exact same case for GTD. The last two years, Grasser has come in and won the watches for that category yeah. and then walked away. So IMSA well, at least Grasser did uh, really at least Grasser did Sebring this year. And I did think they were going to, in fact, I yeah. think the original plan was to do all of the Michelin Endurance Cup uh, and uh, events kind of caught up with them there and uh, yep. they overextended themselves, shall I say. No, no, no. And, and, and fair play to the intent to come back and, and do more than just win the watch and, and to Grasser's credit that they did win the 12 Hours to Sebring this year as well. But the fact is that it's a bit like your relatives coming in for a, a holiday and they drink all of your best booze, they eat all of your best food, and then they leave. <laughs> That's sort of how the full-season teams are feeling right now. So for LMP2, the goal is for a full-season team to come in and establish dominance early on mm. by then being able to wear the watches the rest of the year in every driver's meeting, every autograph session. You like to remind people that you're better than them, and that's the best way to do it. Here's the question, though, by taking... Daytona out of the championship and we've discussed this at length uh, various times on Midweek Motorsport and off the air as well but by taking Daytona out of the championship you remove the requirement for the full season teams to do that now it's still part of the long distance championship the Endurance Cup and that still exists for LMP2 but it's not part of the big championship so that's a bit of a bizarre situation because you are going to get people who will cherry pick that. Does that mean that the full season teams won't do it? Well, no, it doesn't. But they'll only do it if they've got a business case to go there and do that as a one-off, I think. Yeah, but also it's the Rolex. Everybody really wants to win the watch. And every team owner wants to say that they've won the watch. So it's it's a very odd thing in, in and of itself i mean i don't come from a background where my dad never never won the rolex he finished second there a couple of times but it's not a big family goal there are some people who all they can think about all year long is either how they could have won it how they should have won it they talk about they would have wanted if the red flag hadn't come out even though they were in 17th place at the time i mean it, it is one of those war stories that everybody wants to accomplish it and it's sort of it, it's a bit like uh you know moby dick it's out there and until you catch it yourself then you don't really know what you're missing Listening to Shea Adam and me, John Hindorf, as we look back on the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for 2019. GTD, done. GT Le Mans, done. LMP2, a little disappointing, but still done. Now we move on to the front of the field. And Daytona Prototype International, DPI. Four manufacturer entries from Nissan, Mazda, Acura and Cadillac. Two championships uh, again, Michelin Endurance Cup and the full WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, Michelin Endurance Cup for the longer races. So that's Rolex 24, the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, Sealand's 6 Hours at the Glen and Motul Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta. Let's follow the procedure that we've set in the other classes by looking at the manufacturers in the Michelin Endurance Cup first of all. Cadillac by 11 points over Acura, Mazda in third and Nissan 
in fourth position. And the Cadillac team that did best in the Michelin Insurance, uh, Endurance Cup, the 31 Wheel and End Engineering Racing, the Action Express run car, by just three points from Wayne Taylor Racing uh, LLC, which is uh, the black, the glossy black number 10, and making it a trifecta at the top of the uh, standings for the Michelin Endurance Cup in teams. The number five Mustang Sampling Racing Cadillac on 33 points. Best of the rest perhaps surprisingly. The number 55 Mazda in seasons past perhaps endurance and reliability not the strong suit of the Mazda prototype that all turned around this year best of the Penske's disappointingly perhaps in this championship down in 5th position tied on points with the 77 Acura and 1 point ahead uh, 77 uh, Mazda excuse me and 1 point ahead of its teammates. Those were the top 6 uh, of the teams uh, in the Endurance Cup. And as far as the drivers concerned, of course, it was the uh, brilliant trio of Eric Curran, Pipo Durrani and Philippe Nazar, all on 45 points ahead of Renga van der Zander, Jordan Taylor in the number 10 car. Third, just for the sake of probity, Joao Barbosa and Philippe Albuquerque, they were a couple of seconds ahead, a couple of seconds, a couple of points ahead of Johnny, uh, Jonathan Bomarito, J-Bomb and uh, Harry Tinknell, HT there. Um, Michelin Endurance Cup, again, makes a big, big difference to those who've won it. And the three that won it celebrated pretty hard uh, after a, a good start to Daytona and Sebring. Watkins Glen, a bit of a letdown, big letdown for them. But then they came back and were well in the points at Rhodes, Atlanta. We did see a bit of tactical pit stoppery going on in DPI for the Endurance Cup, but perhaps, Shane, not quite as much as we saw in the GT LM and GT Daytona categories. It's a bit like Bill Riley's Cup. They should have uh, renamed the Michelin Endurance Cup for DPI the Action Express yeah, Cup because they won it again for uh, the, let me think, fifth consecutive year this time going the way of the red car second at uh, daytona the win at the 12 hours of sebring the win at petit le mans that cemented it for them for sure and the whaling engineering crew or as i was calling them this year team brazil uh it worked that duo really did come to they were second in the overall championship and really the only credible threat that we had in the overall championship, at least to the Penske boys. But five podiums out of ten races with those two wins in the long endurance races, that was the impressive bit. Yeah, good. Enjoyed that. Uh, and another uh, bit of silverware for Action Express to take uh, back to base. In the full championship, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, uh, as far as the manufacturers were concerned, it was a reverse on that with Acura taking a five-point uh, advantage at the end of the season and giving them top spot for manufacturers ahead of Cadillac on 3.24 to the winners 3.29. 3.11 for Mazda, probably uh, looking a little bit brighter for Mazda after those three wins in the middle of the season, but they had a strong finish, strong second half to the season uh, with Watkins Glen, uh, CTMP, Road America, all wins and uh, uh, on the podium finish, third place finish, it must have been uh, WeatherTech and Road Atlanta uh, as well. Uh, teams 
in the full championship. That was the number six Acura team, Penske, by actually only five points at the end of the day from the 31 Wheel and Engineering Cadillac team with the second Acura team, the seven car, uh, back some 13 positions in third position, but still 10 ahead of Wayne Taylor's Cadillac number 10 team. Master team, yours, their best uh, team was the 77, but not by much, only five points between them and the 55 can't help thinking if they hadn't spread their wins between them then one of their teams might have been up towards the sharper end but there was no thought of that in that summer of Mazda as it was being called so to the drivers then and I would think finally uh, will be what was being said back at Team Penske HQ finally we've won this championship Penske do not enter championships to come second the phrase well, it's a year, learning year. It's not one that is in the Roger Penske and Penske team lexicon. But Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya beat off a strong challenge from Felipe Nasser and Pete Durrani to the championship title. And you've got yep. to say that other... Well, start of the season wasn't the strongest for the for the Acuras, um, for either of, of the Acuras, and certainly not for Dean and Juan Pablo. But from then on, that was a pretty good season that they put together from Long Beach forward, wasn't it? Start of the season was pretty, pretty ugly, to put it bluntly, <laughs> for the number six crew. They were sixth at Daytona and ninth at Sebring. But then the momentum shifted at Long Beach and they weren't off the podium again through the checkered flag at Petit Le Mans. So three poles, three wins and an average finish of 3.3. If I'm this crew, I'm going to be begging Corvette Racing for their race number because clearly three is a lucky one. Um, It was. uh, Oh, and Dane Cameron becoming the first three time IMSA champion. So, Mm. you know, there you go. Even more. Montoya gets to say he's a sports car champion now. He can add that to his collection. The problem is going to be replicating it because in my book, the team that's going to be most eager to try and knock them off that perch is their teammates. Year two of sports cars for Elio, not as impressive as year one. They didn't get a win this year. Mm -hmm. They were very consistent throughout the year, but they didn't get that win. They came away with five other trophies. But this is Penske. Nobody cares about the other trophies. No, they got, They're they, going to be the ones. Didn't they get a win at Mid-Ohio and Belle Isle? Dane and Juan Pablo. Nope. Well, that was Dane and Juan Pablo. That wasn't Ricky and Elio. Oh, sorry. Sorry. So uh, Ricky, my, my apologies. Yep. Go ahead. I was Ricky listening to the Elio, wrong name, Right. <laughs> they, Ricky and Elio didn't fulfill their part of the bargain. No. If you see what I mean. Yes. Understood. They brought home trophies, but they weren't the big ones. So they had a better average finish than second in the championship, but because they didn't get as many points and they got no wins, whereas second in the championship in the form of the Whale and Engineering Cadillac did get wins, it resulted in Penske's driver duos being first and third. Well, if the problem for the winning team of Dan Cameron and Juan Pablo was at the start of the season at Daytona and Sebring, you've got to highlight Long Beach and Watkins Glen in particular for Felipe Nasser and Pipo Durrani in the Cadillac uh, from Action Express, which came second because the rest of the season was pretty solid. For the 31 crew? For Felipe and uh, Pipo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they got the two big wins at the big endurance races, five podiums in 10 races, and eight top five performances 
this duo scored 20 more points than they did last year, but last year they won the championship. Mm. So it's a big difference in the points accumulation this year that the champions actually managed to come home with. They had a good season. They had a really good season as the first time that the two of them drove together. They didn't get the help particularly that they might have needed or had in previous years from their sister car, whose best finish all year was the win at Long Beach, but then third at Sebring. They weren't really there the rest of the year, Albuquerque and Barbosa. And I think that ultimately affected the Pipo and Felipe car too. Well, that's a that's a thought. Uh, you mentioned Elio and Renga van der Zander and uh, sorry, Elio and Ricky Taylor changing teams there for both of them. Um, and I mean, it's ironic that when you look at the the bare numbers, their worst finish was considerably better than the two teams that finished above them's worst finish. But as you said, they just didn't convert and get the wins, and they were consistently sitting just off the end of the podium. So that's what really cost them. But it was a consistent year uh, of scoring. No real nightmare result there. Just no real good one either. And you could almost say the same for Renga van der Zander and Jordan Taylor in the 10 car. All right, Long Beach wasn't great. But the rest of their scoring, Belle Isle, not great. But the rest of their scoring was pretty solid. So they started off the season in best possible form. You get Fernando Alonso in your car. You get all this magic around all the positive uh, PR you could possibly want. You win the Rolex. You finish second at Sebring. And then you don't get another podium finish until Petit Le Mans. Mm. It was a big, big letdown for the team. And it was the first time in a long time. I can't remember the last time, John, that they didn't have a pole position all year. So the 10 will need to bounce back in spectacular fashion. They didn't bring home a bunch of trophies. They did get the watches. So ultimately, a lot like BMW, they're the ones laughing at the end of the day. But this is a team that's used to winning championships, not just a Rolex. In uh, fifth position, the best of the uh, Mazda drivers, uh, Tristan Nunes and the always spectacular Oliver Jarvis. My goodness. He was quick. He was super quick. I was just watching recently an onboard lap of a full house, full fat, full over a thousand horsepower powered Peugeot LMP1 car around Daytona with probably half as much to to three quarters as much again power uh, as the current DPIs, much bigger tyres, weighs roughly the same, maybe a little bit lighter, loads more downforce, and it still wasn't faster than Ollie Jarvis's pole lap. I mean, extraordinary <laughs> stuff from Ollie, particularly in qualifying trim. I mean, ultimately, it, yeah. it, it, was it, can we call it a breakout year for uh, what was called Master Team Yost this year, although it was uh, pretty much Multimatic uh, running the show, certainly about 95% of the show, uh, j- with Jonathan uh, uh, Bomarito um, sitting in behind his teammates there. Um, uh, sorry, uh, with the, the second uh, Mazda sitting in a little bit uh, behind their teammates, but both with wins on the year. So I'm not sure you could call it a uh, a breakout year, Shea, but certainly it was a good year and probably good enough to keep that programme running, crucially, even though the man with the biggest drum and the biggest thing to bang the biggest drum, John Doonan, as we've uh, documented, moving away from that uh, 
championship team and into the senior management position at IMSA. But a good master year, I think. Ollie Jarvis was one of 16 first-time pole sitters in 2019 for IMSA between the four classes. Three wins and three poles for Ollie. So he not only did it once to break the record at Daytona with that magnificent lap, but did it again and again. The first program win coming at the end of the Watkins Glen race, which was way too much drama. I mean, I think everyone was crying just with relief that the race was over by the time that that one went short. Eight total podiums for this team over the year. Not a bad year. It's not what we would expect from championship contenders. But in terms of being the best of the rest, that certainly went the way of Mazda Team Yost. Yeah, good, good, good. Uh... Good season for the other drivers as well. Harry Tinknell, I thought, was very good as well. Bounced back uh, well after uh, making a few mistakes last year, uh, of course. Um, but they're solid finishes as well. And you've got to think of them as championship contenders, I think, uh, next year. Uh, as far as waving goodbye to people, we're going to say goodbye to John Bennett, Jonathan Bennett. Uh, well, at least in prototypes, because oh, I'm done. Um, that's it. I'm going off. I'm doing something else. Uh, and then <laughs> I'm going to wash it out of my blood. You, I'm going to wash it out of my blood. That's what he said to you. And your next yep. question was, well, what about a GT car? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. I'll, I'll consider that. He, he, wasn't, yep. he hasn't even been out of the, of the championship <laughs> at that point. And he, and he was talking about washing it out of his blood. And 10 seconds later, he's like, hmm, I might be back. Um, it does mean, of course, that Colin Brown is on the market, which is interesting. Um, we've got uh, also Stephen Simpson, who's out of a drive after a so-so uh, year, I think Stephen would say, uh, for him. Uh, paired up with uh, Simon Trimmer, wasn't he, for uh, the season over at JDC Miller. I I don't think Stephen did very much wrong. Uh, I think he shows good speed, good qualifier when he's allowed to, but they didn't have the best of years. Um, Just a thought about some of the uh, non-full-time drivers that we had in this year. And I'm just going to rattle off some names. Timo Bernard, Oli Pla. Uh, Roman Dumas, Matthew Vaxvier, Simon Pagino, Kyle Kaiser, Alexander Rossi, Mike Conway, Fernando Alonso, Brendan Hartley, Kamui Kobayashi, Ryan Hunter-Ray, Graham Rahal, Loic Duval, Rubens Barrichello, Christian Fittipaldi, Rene Rast, Spencer Piggott. And actually somebody who really impressed me, uh, but not for just because he had uh, a really uh, good name, Juan Pedro Hita. Where did he come from? I thought he was great. But, you know, this DPI category, we've got people who want to come into it. People keep telling me, ah, it's not the same as old LMP1 races. Well, no, it isn't. But the cars are just as quick in uh, their fast trim as the... Uh, as the LMP1s were in race trim. All right, LMP1s could crank it up in qualifying. But the lap times were great this year. The battles were fantastic. Uh, some of the side-by-side action we had, particularly at, at Daytona and particularly in the wet, was just mind-bendingly brilliant. Uh, proper strategy, proper cars, proper racing, prototypes at their best. And all you have to do is look at the list that you just read off And remember that those drivers are third drivers. They are not full-time drivers because there is no seat available for them full-time. You think about the Lamar wins on the list that you just rattled off the world championships, 
the amazing things that they've been able to accomplish in their own right and they can't get a full-time ride, come on, IMSA is the place to be. Pick a highlight then, a driver, a team, a performance. Um, the, the championship tables tell a story. Do they tell the full story? I'm not sure they ever do. So the Gearbox Girl Share Adam Award then, who did you pick out of the, the prototype field? It could be a team, could be a driver. Mm, prototype field, Ollie Jarvis. Yeah. For the difference that he made, came in this season after not shining as much as he thought he would last year, three pole positions, got the big win at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Not an easy track to win at. Ooh, three no. fastest slaps over races. He earned his paycheck this year. My award would go to that same team, but somebody who is, I was going to say quietly behind the scenes, never really quietly, but that's um, Big Larry, Big Head Larry Holt, who is just an amazing character the man the powerhouse that is behind Multimatic um, they picked up that program and ran with it this year uh, I presume they're going to be looking after it in total next year although I know there's still contractual agreements in place with Team Yost uh, for the team name possibly even as well as uh, one or two of their employees but Larry Mate, I salute you. You did a cracking job with that. Shea, thank you very much indeed for all your work on this show and indeed for the whole season. There's been a almost cast of thousands involved in our IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season, including uh, some of our other radio show limited voices coming over to help us out at the longer races at Petite and, of course, at the Rolex 24. That'll happen again in 2020. Jeremy Shaw was our other series regular, and thanks to Jamie Howe as well, who jumped in in the pit lane at various times throughout the season. It was a cracker, wasn't it, when you think about it? I can't think of more than a handful of laps where there wasn't something happening somewhere in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship field for the IMSA Championship in 2019. And with very few changes made to the sporting and technical regulations for 2020, let's hope that doesn't change when it all kicks off again as far as the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is concerned here on the RSL Network, Radio Show Limited Network, on RS2, IMSA Radio, for the Rolex 24 hours of Daytona. All of the sessions, live, free and uninterrupted. Join us at Daytona. Have a great holiday time. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.